what a great opportunity we have to live in a country where men and women have given their lives for us for to have this freedom. And one of the really cool things, one of the freedoms that they gave their lives up for is for us right now to open up God's Word. And I'm so thankful that we live in a country where men and women have taken that serious that, you know, our freedom of religion allows us to worship here openly without fear of anybody knocking down the door, wondering what we're doing. That we can get into God's Word openly. And I wonder how often when we get into God's Word do we take serious God's Word? That it's not a freedom that should be overlooked, that it's something we should take serious to know that we have the opportunity to live out God's Word. And so I'm geeked out this weekend because I have the opportunity to open up God's Word with you all corporately. Because I believe any opportunity we have to hear, read, or, or, or just apply God's truth to our life is a good opportunity. Amen? Psalms chapter 1. If we dive into the text, let me ask you this question. This is what I want us to wrestle with. And, and it's this. Who or what is the biggest influence in your life right now? No church answers. See, church answers would say, Jesus. But the truth is, is he your biggest influence? Is God's word your biggest influence? Are we living our lives according to what God has been teaching us, or do we pattern our lives more after the world? And so what I want to get into this morning is, you know, how do we live that blessed life? How do we be the blessed man? What is it that we're living out? Who is influencing us? Who is it that has our ear? Who is it we're paying attention to? What is it we're reading or, or just giving our attention over to that when they speak or when we read, we act? I'm talking about the person, people, or organizations that have drifted into our lives and have been influencing us, maybe positively or negatively. Many of these influences can be really good influences, like life groups. How many of y'all involved in a life group? Great, three of you. Perfect. Um, I've got a lot of work to do. I'm going to be throwing a lot of questions back and forth. You're going to have to pay attention because we're going to walk through this together. But life group is an opportunity for us to come. Iron sharpen iron. It's where we get to hang out with one another, pour into each other through significant Christian relationship. If you're not looked into a life group, look, we're going to have life groups starting up in September. Sign up start next month. So I, I, you've all been invited. You have no excuse now. Okay, you can't say nobody asked me to be a part of a life group. You've all been asked to be a part of a life group. The other thing that we have the opportunity here at Fellowship to do is we do a thing called life journaling. I don't know if you life journal or not, but it's our opportunity to kind of systematically go through God's Word, not as, you know, you have to do this every day, but it's a way, it's a reading plan for us to get into God's Word and apply God's Word to our life. And if you want to hear from God, get into God's Word. Amen. Okay, it, it, we're going to go very elementary here. I'm going to walk you through this. So life groups, life journaling, sign-ups. Uh, you ever thought about who's influencing your life? How much is God's Word influencing your life versus how much is the world influencing your life? And, and I just pondered on that for a while, you know, because I think about my own routine. On my way to the office, I usually have my radio on. I'm just, you know, just kind of subconsciously paying attention to all the stuff they're talking about, all the junk that's going on. And then I wonder... Well, who's really influencing my life? As I go home and I turn on my TV and I sit there for, as an average, most Americans, five hours. Mine's more like three. But um, who's influencing my life? And I wonder, why is it so simple that in and out of the office, driving in and out, I can have the radio on be influenced? Why is it at home I can just turn the TV on and have this noise going on being influenced? And I wonder, who's really impacting my life when, you know, a lot of times, to be honest, my, my quiet time maybe half hour or an hour you know, sure, I'm a pastor, and I'm in God's Word, and I teach God's Word, but how much time do I take in God's Word for myself? Not to teach it, not to learn it, not to preach it, but how much time do I spend in God's Word? And so if I wrestle with this, saying I want to live out God's call on my life, how obedient am I to being in His Word? 
See, we let a lot of people in, and a lot of you know, things come and infect us, and it's impossible to live a life that is uninfected by other people. Unless you're a hermit living under a rock, have no friends, no influences, no media, no nothing, it's hard to live a life that's not, that, that isn't infected by other people. The people in our lives have opinions and attitudes, and each one of them are like a dust storm. Their attitudes and their opinion blow into our lives, shaping us, influencing us, our perspective and our decisions. See, growing up in Arizona, we, we would get these dust storms, you know, and you'd see them build off in the horizon, and you knew that you were about to just get dusted. I mean, it was going to get ugly. It wasn't just like, oh, I got to dust the house. It was like, this is going to get ugly. And so you had to go and save the women and children first. And it, okay, maybe not that dramatic, but you had to go and take care of your house, make sure your windows were shut and your doors were shut because you saw the storm coming. And man, it doesn't matter how much precaution you made when that storm passed, you were left cleaning up a lot of stuff. You could take every precaution necessary, but you were still affected by the storm. And I wonder how often do we connect with the wrong people, and before we know it, they've influenced us, and many times in subtle ways we're unaware that we've been influenced until, in some cases, it's too late. You know, the outside influences have become more like an internal belief. See, I, I believe no matter how much preparation we put into, how much preparation we put into our walk with Christ, how much intention we have towards living a godly life, a blessed life, we can still get influenced by the world. It creeps in ever so subvertly, and before long, we're left cleaning up. But here's the really cool part. We have a God who, through his Son, has given us the opportunity to clean up over and over and over. So I, I titled the message this morning, Who Blocked? My blessing, because I believe that for many of us, the people we hang out with, the group or people that we, we allow to speak into our lives has the biggest impact in our life, both positively and negatively. And sometimes we let things influence and things in our lives that's really blocking us from that blessing. I saw a sign that said, you cannot hang out with negative people and expect to live a positive life. And I just want to take that a step farther and say, you cannot be influenced by ungodly people and expect to live a godly life. So we're going to dive into Scripture, some observation, three points of application, and then we're going to go to lunch. Amen? All right, but let's feast on the Word of God right now. Can we do that? Psalms chapter 1, six verses I just want to unpack a little bit here, look at, and just uh, say, God, apply this to our lives. Psalms chapter 1, I had a wise man say, it must be important if it's the first one. It says this, Blessed is the one who does not walk in the steps with the wicked. Or stand in the way that sinners take. Or sit in the company of mockers, but who delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaves do not wither, and whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked, they are like chaff, and the wind blows them away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinner in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. So this, this verse, this, this Psalms 1, has been marinated in my brain for a long time. When I started college years ago, I decided from the time it took me to get to the parking lot to my first class, and any time I had to walk campus, I was going to learn Scripture. Because if I was going to go to campus and be just you know, poured into by the professors and the worldviews, then I wanted to counterbalance it with God's views. 
And so I would take the time to learn scripture as I walked across campus. And so this message, this, this text has been marinating in my brain since at least, say, 1998, 1990, years ago, eons ago, the dark ages, if you would, back when I was a kid, a very old kid. But it's been the battle of good and evil is what it comes down to. This is the cage match of, well, you know, forever. The good versus evil, doing the right things versus doing the wrong things. The godly versus evil, or the ungodly. The godly man is represented by the man who is blessed, and the wicked by those that are not going God's way. And the verse starts out, it says, blessed is the man. This term blessed is rightly used in the Old Testament to describe a person who is in a good situation or who has found favor. You know, this doesn't mean that this individual is lucky. You know, the blessing of God has nothing to do with luck. The blessing of God has everything to do with, you know, how fortunate you are because you remain in God. Or, you know, what great happiness is yours because you remain in God. So it's better understood like this. Blessed, or how fortunate is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked. See, the blessed man of God is not distracted by the things of the world, but is fixated on the promise of God. The blessed man lives by the mantra of, to me, to live is Christ, and nothing else matters. The blessed man conducts himself in direct contrast to that of the world. The world's ways are not his. The path of the world are not his. He lives differently than the rest of the world. And it says there, he does not, and, and there's a progression here, he says, he does not walk in the step of the wicked. And the wicked, uh, just to understand, how do I know if I'm hanging out with wicked people? How do I know what wicked looks like? The wicked, their ways and their eyes are the best. Okay? They worry only about themselves. They're not going to go to the principles of God and look at God's word and say, this is what God says. They're going to say more like, you know, well, I believe. You know, my way. And if their way doesn't point you to God's way, then you got to raise questions about what way they're heading. Okay, so it says, he does not walk in the steps of the wicked. Proverbs 10, 11 says this, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Then farther down in verse 23, it says, a fool finds pleasure in wicked schemes, but a person of understanding delights in wisdom. So he says, you know what? The blessed man does not walk with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners and understand sinners are those people who just don't miss, make the mark. To sin means to miss the mark, to come short, to fall short. And so he says, no, you're not standing, you're not hanging out with those who are missing the mark. But these are people who are trying. You know, the, the truth about this is, you know what, we all miss the mark. But if I'm going to miss the mark, you know, I, I'm a sinner saved only by grace. You know, for all fall short of the glory of God, so we're all missing the mark. But I want to hang out with people that are striving to hit the mark. And not people that are going, you know what, I don't miss the mark, so I'm not even going to try. So he says, we shouldn't hang out with those people. We should be around people that are trying, people that are going for it, that are trying to live their lives according to God's standards and not the world's standards. And then he says, you know, or does not sit in the seat of mockers, or some versions say scoffers. And these would be those who disrespect God and his teaching, dishonor his way, or ignore him and his teaching. These are the ones who hear the truth but fail to live out the truth because they could care less about the truth. And so I was thinking, you know, how do I really, you know, understand this, this natural progression of walking to standing to sitting? What could, you know, what could I use to really help illustrate what it means to sit with those who mock God? 
And so as this has been marinating in my brain and just, you know, coming over, uh, you know, I sat down the other day to watch TV thinking, okay, God, how can I understand those who sit with those who mock my God? So I was sitting there watching TV, praying through this a little bit, trying to flip through the channels going, God, what's an illustration of sitting with those who mock my God? And then I turn the channel and think again, what's it mean to sit with those who mock my God? Do you see where I'm going? Sometimes we sit in our living rooms or our family rooms and we turn on the glowing rectangle, which just spews forth a lot of things that mocks our God. Now, I'm not bagging on watching TV. I watch TV just as much as the next person. In fact, I'm not going to be a hypocrite because it's almost summer. And the best season comes after summer, and that's football season. Okay? And I sure am going to watch a lot of football. But the thing is, I think we've got to understand discerning. We've got to teach discerning to the next generation because instead of just turning on the glowing rectangle and letting it sit there and influence our lives, maybe there's times we need to turn it off or change the channel because maybe we find ourselves sitting in the seat with mockers. I don't know about you, but I, I just don't want that in my home. I, I want to raise my kids and, and live a life that honors God and not allow things in my house that are going to destroy my relation with him. So there's this natural progression from walking to standing the city. And each action the psalmist points out is the way of destruction. He says, the way of the wicked is like the chaff that the wind drives away. The way, the, these ways will, of the wicked will perish contrast to the Romans 12, chapter 2, and he says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Instead, he says, the blessed man delights in the law of the Lord, meaning that God's word is dear to him, and his per he, he prospers in all he does. They're blessed because they delight in God, in God alone. Because his delight first is in the Lord, in all he does, he prospers. Proverbs 2, 12 says, The wisdom will save you from the wicked men, from men whose words are perverse. And see, Jesus talked about this good and this wicked, this cage mechanism going on about the good people and the bad people. In Matthew 13, chapter 47, he talks about the parable of the net. He says, Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fishes. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in the basket, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of ages. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, as Jesus calls us to be fishers of men, I, I just have to understand that if I'm a fisher of men, there's going to be good fish and there's going to be bad fish. There's going to be fish that I should put in the basket and keep, and there's going to be those that I need to let go of. And so if I examine my own life and wonder who I'm hanging out with, who's influencing me, who's pouring into my life, is it good? Is it pointing me towards God or pointing me away from God? So how do we live the blessed life like this man described by the psalmist? How do we avoid or deflect the wicked and focus on the things of God? Three things. Three things is this. The blessed man is planted. The first one is the blessed man is planted. The blessed man is is planted. Scripture says in, in, in Psalms 1, it says, the person, the blessed man, is like a tree planted by the stream of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaves do not wither, and whatever they do, prosper. 
So the Hebrew word for planted is nata. I'm going to teach you some Hebrew here. You ready? Say nata. It's spelled N-A-T-A. It's real simple. Nata. Okay? Nata. The person, the, the blessed man is planted. He is nata. That same word nata is also the same word that we get for established. So the blessed man is established. The blessed man is planted. The blessed man, the blessed man is put down roots. And it says, he's, he's, he's blessed man is planted. He is established by the stream of water. He, his foundation is firm. He's intentionally placed. He's not there by chance. He didn't just stumble into it. He's established by the stream of water. That person is like a tree planted by the stream. He, he is nata by the stream of water, which is a natural source, not a manufactured refreshing too often we try to fill our lives with this artificial, manufactured, made-up world instead of planting ourselves in the refreshing Word of God. See, the world, the artificial, leaves us thirsty for more. In fact, in John 4, when Jesus was asked by the Samaritan woman for a drink, his reply demonstrated the idea that as long as we establish ourselves in the world's way, we'll remain thirsty. He said in verse 13, he says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become the spring of water welling up to eternal life. So as long as we are established in Christ, we're planted, we're nata, we're established in him and our thirst and our desire should be in him alone. As blessed men and women who are established in Christ, our roots should run deep. We should desire to have more in our relationship with Christ not less. See, our, our desire should be more to soak up more of him, to be next to that stream of living water where we're just going to draw from it and pull from it. So in order to go out into the world, we can be the salt and light to the world instead of taking on the patterns of the world. So we're to be rooted, we're to be planted, we're to be not taught, established so that we soak up the things of God. Our deep roots, seeking to go deeper I believe this opportunity for us to go deeper, selfish plug right here, as a discipleship pastor, that's why we do equip classes. Because we want to equip you as disciples to go deeper, so that as you're equipped, you go out into the world. And we have sign-up stuff out in the back, and we want you to sign up to go deeper. And here's the challenge I have, is when people say, well, I don't know if I need to go deeper. So if that's you, cool. If you don't need to go deeper, then you're prepared to teach, and we can offer more classes. You must be full. Because from the overflow, we give. But if you're not full and your, deeps aren't going, your roots aren't going deep, they encourage you, plug in, get around people, learn how to go deeper. Like those trees whose roots run near the surface, when storms come, they're uprooted and toppled over. But those whose roots go deep in Christ, no matter what life brings at us, they cannot break us or uproot us. Early in my ministry, my mentor pastor, Pastor Byron, he would challenge me every time I would face adversity or struggles. And Byron would encourage me to seek Scripture before I spoke. He'd say, seek Scripture before you speak your mind. I don't know if that's he knew how much I would just shoot off my mouth or if he understand that, you know what, I should be speaking the things of God before my own opinion. And so every time, you know, he would encourage me to seek the scripture before I spoke. The, this practice would establish a pattern of putting God's word before my words. You know, and then if I felt like I did need to say anything or, or establish an argument, that my argument established first in the word of God before my own opinion. 
And instead of Byron bailing me out of tough circumstances, he would tell me to go to God's Word and say, what does God's Word have to say about this? And I wonder how often do we come to church or we hope that God's Word is just going to be our bailout instead of being established and rooted in His Word and understanding what His Word means to our life in order to live it out. See, if we fail to establish our lives in Christ, we'll consistently desire the things of this world to satisfy us. We'll go from one manufactured source to another, and all the time the natural spring in Christ is right there for us to soak up. And the, the thought hit me last night as I was preaching this, how great it would be if, if during my office hours my time was filled more with people wanting to know, uh, explain to me the scripture that I'm studying. Help me understand this word more. Because if we were soaking up God's word and our time were spent in God's word, I, I believe that the crisis of life would be less. I'd probably have less meanings of people saying, you know what, my marriage is breaking down. Help me, Pastor. Or, or, or less meanings of, Lord, I'm str- uh, Pastor, I'm struggling with this. Help me understand how to get through this thing of life or this challenge or this trouble. I wonder if we rooted ourselves in God's Word and established ourselves in God's Word, what, what that would look like. I think my office hours would change a whole bunch. The second thing is this. The blessed man is producing fruit. The blessed man is planted. The blessed man is producing fruit. That person, the blessed man, is like a tree planted in the stream of water, which yields it fruit, its fruit in season. I read once about a young boy who, every time he would get in trouble, was sent to his room. And as he would go to his room, he realizes just outside his window was a tree. And so he'd open his window and step out on the tree and climb down and escape and go and hang out with his friends. And one day he heard his father, he overheard his father say, you know, that old tree... It's just, it's just withering and dying. It hasn't had fruit on it for years. And the young man all of a sudden realized that's his escape route, and he decided he needed to do something about that tree. So he went and bought a bushel of apples. And that night he invited his friends over, and they tied the apples to the tree. The next morning his father came out and took a look at the tree and was, was amazed. He said to his wife, he said, come look, this old tree that hasn't bared fruit in years now is covered with apples. This is amazing, he says. He says, what's even more amazing is it's a pear tree. (laughs) So what kind of fruit, church, are we producing? are, Are we faking it? Are we making it up? And the fruit we're producing doesn't match up to the roots. Are we living out? Are we becoming who God's called us to be? Is the fruit rooted in God or is it something completely different? See, John 15, 5 says, I'm the vine, and you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. He's the vine, and we're the branches. And apart from him, we'll do nothing, and our fruit comes from him. Galatians 5, 23 says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It, it, don't, don't get this wrong. It's one fruit. There's not separate fruit. It's not plural. There's one fruit. These are the different parts of the fruit. So, you know, we have to question, how am I bearing fruit? Do I have love but not joy? Do I have peace but not patience? You know, am I kind but not gentle? What about self-control? This is one fruit. Am I missing some part of this? Do I have to go and work on something? Okay, I might have love, but I'm not in peace, so I need to go back to God's Word and find peace. I have to go back to God's word and find self-control in order to have the fruit of the Spirit. Because, you know, here's what I know. I'm not a smart man. 
But I know, and you're going to have to help me out here, if I squeeze an orange, I get orange juice, right? If I squeeze an apple, I get, you're tracking, right? If I squeeze a banana, all right, bad, bad illustration. But um, if I squeeze a watermelon, I get something super amazing, <laughs> Okay, uh, that's just my own world. But watermelon should come out of the watermelon, right? Oranges, orange juice should come out of the orange. Apple juice should come out of the apple, right? If you're squeezed, Christian, follower of God, what comes out? When you're under pressure, what comes out? When you're struggling, what comes out? When you face adversity, what comes out? In your life, when there's struggles, what comes out? See, the fruit of the Spirit is what should come out. When I'm facing pressure, when I'm facing adversity, when I'm facing struggles, I should be exhibiting the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control that comes only from God. As a Christian, as a follower of Christ, when I face pressure, Christ should come out. The third thing is this. The blessed man is prosperous. That person who's like a tree planted by the stream of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaves do not wither, whatever they do prospers. Wow. I don't know about you. That, that's, whatever I do, I want to prosper. And this isn't prosperity gospel. This is about the fact if I follow God, my wallet's going to get fat. Because I don't believe God is concerned with how fat my wallet is or how big my bank account is. What God's concerned is, am I following him? Because if I'm following God, if, if I'm tracking with God, if I'm staying with God, no matter what I face, no matter what I got through, no matter what the outcome is, if it's in him, I'm prosperous. Because his ways are not my ways. See, see, God doesn't operate by the ways of the world. You know, prosperity is not about the house we live in or the car we drive or the clothes we wear. To, to God, prosperity is, are you remaining in me? Is your roots in me? Are you bearing fruit that comes from me? So no matter what, or what we face, God gets the ultimate praise, and we're just a tool that he uses. It's also amazing. It says, whose leaves do not wither. He's talking about an evergreen here. The picture that the psalmist is, is painting is just a tree planted, rooted, nata, in him, who no matter what season of life comes, does not wither, does not fade. The leaves do not fall off, but is prosperous. Joshua 1.8. My youth pastor taught me this when I was in like eighth grade. And this has been my life first, and it says, this. Keep this book of law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so you'll be careful to do all that's written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Keep this book of law. Keep God's word always on your lips, always on your mind, always in your thought so that you're careful to do all that's written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Jeremiah 29, 11 says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you 
and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. I believe in a God who wants us to prosper, not to just be mediocre. So how fortunate are you? How blessed are you? And how prosperous are you because you remained in me, is what the Scripture is saying. So, so let, let me go back to the original question of this message. Who or what have you allowed to influence you? And is that influence you pointing you more to be like God, more to know God, more to understand God, more to be in His Word and soaking up His Word, or are those influences pointing you more away from God? See, I believe the greatest accomplishment in God begins with the simplest of obedience. He says, remain in me. Know me. Understand my words. Soak me up. How often do we do that, church? How often do we stick our nose in God's word? How often do we systematically go through all this and understand this? And sure, there's big words, and we struggle through those big words. But how often do we say, this is the guidebook for life? How obedient are we to being in God's word? Because I believe, you know, when we're in trouble, we sure want God to show up. But day after day, he's right there, and we don't even show up. We don't dive into his word. We take it for granted. And I don't know about you, but that's, that's sad that we live in a world that people have died for this. And we take it for granted. Instead of soaking it up and going, you know what, I have the freedom to know everything I can know about my God. This mysterious God does not need to sit on this shelf. This mysterious God is someone I can put into my life, have a personal relationship through his son, Jesus Christ, that I can live out. What if we started living this way? What would our neighborhoods look like? What would our families look like? What would Pueblo look like if we started applying God's word to our life and started living it out and started making a difference instead of just coming in here, punching our church time cards, walking out the door like nothing mattered? It begins with the simplest of all obedience. And that obedience is to God first. Not to the influences of this world. Not to other things. To God and God alone. So who or what are you allowing to influence you? What does this you allowed end that needs to be cleaned out in order for you to get back on track with God? Here's the great part. The God I believe in is a loving God. He's a holy God. He's a just God. And a God who desires for us to know him. And to love him. And he's provided a way through his son back from anywhere we've traveled. And all we have to do is say, Lord, I make you first. And by making him first, we act like he's first. We live like he's first. We walk like he's first.